Thanks for listening to the ETH podcast. I'm pleased to talk to two fascinating people today. My name is Joachim Schoss. I've been, or maybe I still am, a serial entrepreneur. Um, I've been the founder of Scout24. had a terrible traffic accident uh, in which I lost my arm and my leg and almost died. Uh, after that, I have founded the charitable foundation My Handicap to help other people with disability. My name is Robert Riener. I'm professor of sensory motor systems or robotics, and we develop a lot of different rehabilitation devices which we apply at patients and on people with disabilities. And I am also the initiator of the Cybertron. We're here in Zurich, Joachim Schoss and I, in the studio, and Robert is here by screen because he's actually on a sabbatical. We're glad that he's still talking to us. He's in Florence right now, and Joachim and I are wearing masks because we're in a studio, but Robert isn't, just for our audience to know why we might sound different than usual. The Cybertlon is the reason why we are talking to each other today. The event and how it can boost science is the overall question. The Cybertlon, just quickly, is a championship for people with physical disabilities. The competitors are allowed and also do use technical assistance systems. Robert, you invented the Cybertlon that took place for the first time four years ago. How did you come up with the idea? I came up with the idea of the Cybertron because in the daily work of our research, I saw how little well-developed the developments are, the devices we can buy, yeah, like the prosthesis, the wheelchairs, and uh, exoskeletons or orthoses. People who are using it and, and need it are not satisfied or are not using it because they are not functional enough um, or they cannot afford it because they're too expensive. So I had the idea to organize an event the Cybertron, which uh, promotes the development of such technologies because many people are invited to come, to join, to compete against each other. And in this way, develop and showcase the technology which we want to have, technology which is better functioning in the future, which may increase the acceptance of these technologies. Joachim, you're an ambassador of the Cybertron. What made you want to be an ambassador of this event? Well, uh, when I heard about this, I was uh, really uh, impressed and delighted uh, from the first minute onwards because As Robert just uh, said, indeed, there is a lot of research and a lot of fantastic things coming from science and laboratories. So when I lost my arm and my leg, I had the fantasy to get the hole-in-one prosthesis, arm prosthesis, because I uh, loved to play golf. I'm still not wearing an arm prosthesis. I lost my arm with the shoulder, so it's quite difficult to fit a, a prosthesis. Fortunately, I only lost one arm and still have the other hand. And most people in my situation don't wear an arm prosthesis, although you always see these fascinating things that you can have a, a hand that moves uh, following your thoughts and things like that. But the truth is, as, as Robert said, that uh, there is a huge gap between what science is working on and what people with disability really can use. The Paralympics are an excellent initiative to motivate especially young people with disability to do sports, but the majority of people with disability are old. So, so the Paralympics address 
1% or even less of the people with disability. While the Cybatlon is good for, I would say, 100% of people with physical disabilities, or at least for those who need AIDS. I um, also have a leg prosthesis, and uh, I can tell that there is a lot of daily problems with such a prosthesis. So having such a competition where it is not only theory, but it's really used by people with disability is a, is a fantastic step forward to help more people with disability to get better AIDS. In your life, I mean, you're a very successful businessman. You're a very sporty person. There's a before and an after. Tell us your story of the accident. I was on a motorbike trip like I did many before and uh, crazy enough on the very last day in the in the last couple of minutes on a sunshiny day on a straight road a drunk driver hit me and we crashed into each other with the 200 kilometers I was traveling with 100 kilometers on my lane and and he came from the opposite lane and passed a bus where he shouldn't have passed the bus he was drunk he didn't see me And I was fortunate enough to not be fully hit, but only my leg. So so the leg was cut off on the street and I crashed with my shoulder on the roof of the car. And so I also smashed the shoulder so that uh, the doctors couldn't save that. Fortunately, I was wearing a full helmet. Otherwise, we couldn't talk here. Well, I had total kidney failure and so on. I don't want to bore you with the whole story, but I, I almost died and it took six months to get out of hospital again. I mean, it's an extreme story and it's hard also for me to talk about it. I'm, I want to speak about also how people might deal with situations of meeting you and not knowing or not knowing how to react. I want to speak about the artificial joint you have, the artificial leg or the prosthesis. How long did it take for you to learn how to walk with it? Uh, that's a good question. So I think I can mention it. I have a Autobox C leg, which is a, a quite advanced leg. C stands for computerized. So it tries to understand what I want. It has sensors in the foot and then it, it opens the knee or not and, and lets me walk. So I would say in the beginning I fell several times a day, then several times a week, then only once a week. And after half a year or so, I was stable walking with this prosthesis. Yeah. Um, what what uh, probably is interesting for the people who are listening, the prosthesis technology in itself that comes out of the factory is quite good. But the connection between the body of the person with disability and the prosthesis, that is the problem. Because the body is changing, sometimes you weigh more, you weigh less, you do sports and, and you have stronger muscles, less muscles and so on and so on. So it is it is very difficult. In my case, I, I only have 12 centimeters of the leg bone left. It's very difficult to fit it in a way that you don't have trouble every day with the connection between prosthesis and body. And that's, again, something which is so great about the Cybertron, that it's not only just the prosthesis that you look at in a laboratory, but that it's really the question, how does the prosthesis work together with a person with a disability? How long did it take for your mind to get used to having something that was meant to help you, but wasn't yours, but became yours or somehow grew? It took years. It took years. I have to say, after, after a while, you get used to what you see in the mirror. But when I saw pictures made of me from different angles, it took years to uh, get used to it. And Robert, what passes your mind when you hear about getting used to and using things out of a not 
technical view? So what makes me emotional is not only this personal tragedies people like Joachim experienced, um, because after a while they more or less accept the situation and they get back to, uh, I would say, happy life, or let's say as happy as, as my life maybe, uh, in average. And what's the bigger problem is the behavior of other people around, yeah? leading to either behaviors which are over-exaggerating kind, uh, which try to help them too much, or which are kind of ignoring or even discriminating these people. And the basic problem is that other people without disabilities do not understand the situation and do not know what the real problem is. And the real problem is not only a physical problem, it's maybe more. And some people, people with disabilities or with spinal cord injury, it's not only the physical problem, it's also the missing sexual function, for example, or problems with bladder and intestine function and other problems, um, or sensory problems that don't have a feeling anymore of, of, of touch. And the society, the general public just reacts in a strange way often, which makes it more complicated to deal with these people with disabilities. Is this also something that the Cyber Lawn is striving for, for more acceptance, for more visibility of people with disabilities, also just to be more included in a, let's call it normal, I mean, it's stupid to say normal, but just to be included in a general life? Exactly. That's definitely the goal of the Cybertron, and that has changed over the years. When I had the idea of the Cybertron, I, as an engineer, I didn't know many people with disabilities some years ago. I originally thought only about this physical problem and the technical aspect of the Cybertron, as I explained before. But by meeting people like Joachim and other people with, with disabilities, I, I realized what the real problem is in our society. And that's why the, the goal and the philosophy of the Cybertron has maybe changed. I mean, the old goals are still there. We want to develop better technologies. But the new goal, which came additionally to the Cybertron, is that we want to support inclusion, that we want to bring people together that they just experience each other, that they see each other, that they better understand each other, and in this way uh, produce an awareness about just people who are different. They're not worse or better. They're not another species. They're just people with other attitudes, maybe. Any person is different, and we have to accept these differences in a better way. And the Cyberton is a very good mean and method to produce this kind of awareness and visibility. Joachim, is that also why you're part of the Cybertron? Is that something that's important to you, that people just know that inclusion is something important? Absolutely. And our generation had no chance to meet people with disabilities at school. That's why inclusion really starts at school. And uh, we, we know that if you exclude already in the school age, it will be very hard to be ever included later. So inclusion starts at school, in sports clubs, and so on. So this is, this is a, a very important goal. I want to make one point. Uh, which is really very close to my heart. From my point of view, there is not a distinction people with disability and people without disability. There are a thousand different areas where you can be good or bad. 
nobody is good in all thousand areas. We all have our strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, I have lost an arm and a leg, so definitely from the point of view of the outside, I'm a person with disability. In many areas, I may be less disabled than <laughs> many other people in areas you, you may not see or that, that may not be uh, so obvious. So I, I really think it's, it's wrong to divide a community by the idea of this is a person with disability and this is a person without. We all have our strengths. We all have our weaknesses. So, so nobody is without a disability, so to say. So it's really important that the Cybertron takes place, but... This year, the second edition, it won't take place in Kloten because of the situation due to Corona and people not being able to travel right now. But will it be easier? Will it be better for you to follow all the different categories, Robert? It will uh, be different. It's difficult to say if it will be larger or smaller or more or less successful. It's just different. The disadvantage, of course, is that having not a big stadium filled with thousands of spectators, we will not have these great emotions as we did have them four years ago. And this, these emotions were really also surprising to me that uh, people were shouting in the stadium, the pilots were very emotional, and that produced the emotions also in the audience. That will be different or missing, but we have now um, about 40 races or 40 tracks built up at many different locations in all over the world. So we do not have only one place anymore, like we did four years ago. We still have the Zurich spot, uh, not in Kloten, but at ETH Zurich. And we have 40 other hubs in South Africa, in the States, in Japan, Hong Kong, Singapore, That's the great thing that we did grow. And in each of these hubs, we have now a team which is building up everything, which is recruiting their staff, which is communicating with the pilots and the teams uh, supporting with the technology, which is also communicating to the media and producing awareness and visibility. So we have a multiplicator effect. We have now maybe 40 times more activities going on in the world And everything is then broadcasted together in Zurich and uh, will be streamed. So I think in this way we can produce this movement as you wanted and become more visible, become more famous with the goal to produce a better inclusion. Joachim, do you have favorite categories? Like, do you know what you will be watching in November when the Cybertron begins? online? <laughs> well, I think I will watch everything because everything is exciting. But of course, I'm especially interested in uh, those two areas that are very important to me, like prosthesis and, and arm prosthesis. I was totally amazed about the exoskeleton, what we saw 2016, and the races with the brain interface. So everything is worth to watch. It is really, it's really sports. And it's exciting to see how it's going. And I'm also curious to see how it will be transported to the viewers and hopefully we will be able to again have a competitive situation when, when you watch because that is of course what makes it very interesting to stay tuned. So it's competitive between the pilots. Each pilot wants to win. Everyone has a sporty mind but is it also a competition of research of schools let's say? Of course it's a competition for both for the pilots and for the developers of the technology. And that's a great thing. As Joachim also said at the beginning, it's not only about the people with disabilities. It's not only about the technology, but it is about this interaction between the pilots using the technology. And they have to 
be optimized. They have to be trained, these pilots, and be willing and, and, and maybe also be a, a little bit athletic. And the technology must be great and it must be able to control it by the pilot. The technology is not master, it's not the master, it's, and the patient the slave. It's a balanced interaction between the human and the technology. And that's why both is important, the pilots, the humans, and the technology. And both will be awarded. If somebody wins, then we will give a cup to the team and a medal to the pilot. Yeah, and there's an entire team behind the technology, a team of many researchers, group coordinators, and of course, at least one pilot. And for an earlier episode of the ETH podcast, I met with BCI pilot Samuel Kunz. BCI stands for Brain Computer Interface. Samuel, who has quadriplegia, showed me how he drives a virtual car by thought. Let's take a very short earful of what he told us a few months ago about his motivation to participate in the Cybathlon. From my background as a mechanical engineer, I'm very interested in new technologies. And it's a technology that might someday even help me. Or even if it doesn't, it may help other people that are in an even worse situation than I am. So that motivates me and... I thought I still have a lot of spare time. Why not give it a try? And I also like competitions, as I had a many before my accident. And it's a chance to compete against others again. This is Samuel Kunz, who we visited for the ETH podcast a few months ago. You can tune in and listen to the full episode with him via ETH podcast website or via podcast platforms. But my question now is... How long will it take until Samuel Kunz will be able to steer real cars and not virtual cars via thought? This kind of technology, the brain-computer interface technology, is, I would say, the least mature technology. Of course, it works in the lab and it works also or should work at the Cyberdon races that people can produce three different kinds of thoughts, yeah? three different kinds of uh, yes, no, left, right, fast, slow and so on. And in this way, be able to control a virtual car. It's a challenge to control it in a reliable way uh, that if they want to go left, that the car indeed goes left. And that's not always working well. And to do this command in a fast way and that the system, the technical system must detect the system in a fast way so that the turn left is not um, five seconds too late after the curve is, is away. And And that's actually the challenge and the problem still, to make this technology fast and reliable enough. It's okay if you want to write a letter, let's say. That's what some people with very severe disabilities or tetraplegia indeed do and use. And they use this technology to communicate, to say something, to write something. And then it doesn't matter if you make a mistake, you can go back and correct it. But to drive a wheelchair or a car needs to fulfill these high safety issues and then it becomes more challenging and it will take still a lot of time until these technologies can be used in daily life. How long do you think this will take until people will be able to use it in daily life? Isn't also the car technology coming in, in the uh, other direction? So we are having a lot of progress in autonomous driving. And so if, if the cars are almost able to, to do this autonomous driving and this brain interface technology works, it could be a couple of years. 
they still need some uh, input, but that input probably could be given with with the technology Robert is mentioning. And that's, by the way, that's what we observe in many cases. It needs effort from many sides. The BCI uh, technology is a nice example. You can meet in the middle. Yeah, You can improve the car technology or wheelchair technology to make it more independent and also improve the variable technology used by the pilots or people with disabilities. It's the same with wheelchairs. We can also try to improve the environments of uh, the buildings so that maybe they don't need to climb stairs or steep slopes. But you cannot always avoid it. Yeah? If you want to go take a walk in the mountains, which many people also cannot walk anymore like to do or would like to do, then um, you are happy to use technology. It's a compromise and a balance of uh, changing environment and improving technology. And with the change of environment includes also the change of people attitudes. And often it's not only a physical disability which we have, it's often the view that people have on something. From the first edition of the Cybertron to the second one now, was there a boost also in technology and a boost also in everyday life of people using AIDS? A boost, I would not say, yeah, to be honest. Of course, there was a lot of improvement and many of these technologies would now not exist if the Cybertron wouldn't have been. For example, the Skebo wheelchair. The Skebo wheelchair is a development by ETH Zurich and it's a spin-off company now existing. The students which developed it more than four years ago, this project was established because of the Cybertron. And there are many more technologies which are there only because of the Cybertron, but maybe the same technology would have arisen anyways to one or two years later maybe. What people have to understand is many people speak about disruption. Yeah? That suddenly is changing something. But usually the Technology is changing only in little incremental steps. What is changing in a fast way is the perception of the people and the society. And that's changed or triggered by the media, by the, by the newspapers. They suddenly take topics and distribute it and suddenly people see it and they want to have it. And then it's a trend anyways. If my neighbor has it, I want to also have it. And it grows suddenly and then it becomes visible for the people in society. So disruption is, uh, I would say, not really existing in, uh, in science, in technology. What is disruptive is just the perception and the use by society. We spoke about all the good sides now of the Cybertron, but I remember in 2016 I read one report in the newspaper saying that there are critical voices who think that you're parading people with disabilities, that you're showing them to uh, an audience and that it's I mean, I'm exaggerating now, but it's like you're showing freaks to, to the audience and making fun of people. What crosses your mind when you read reports like that? Yes. In our Cyberland team, we discussed this issue a lot and very carefully, um, that there is a risk that, we, that the Cyberland is being perceived as a freak show and that the dignity of the people is not being taken care of. And that's why we have talked to experts in the field, to event people who know about these issues. And we included many people with disabilities in our boards as advisors and talked with them. And finally, I think uh, we could arrange it in a way that it's, um, we take into account dignity of the people. They were motivated, the pilots. They had fun. There were emotions, positive emotions. 
and uh, and I think it worked out finally in this way. And we can still improve, maybe. And but I think what what have to be said also is it's often the perception of people watching it because they do not have the relevant attitude to these people. They feel embarrassed, for example, because they never meet these people. They don't know about the problems they have. And this level of embarrassment would not be if they would work with them on a daily level. Some people watched on the television that time. It was eight hours live on Swiss television four years ago. And I heard them saying they didn't want to look at it, how these people are there. Yeah? And these are the same people who go away when they see these people on the street, who do not want to talk to them in daily life. It's also a problem of perception and, and attitude of people which we have. So we have to change also their attitude. Joachim, what went through your mind when you read the criticism or when you heard about it? Well, as a person with disability, I absolutely disagree. Um, I would have loved to compete. Probably I was not good enough, but I still would love to compete. And, and uh, I see no difference between other competitions, whatever. In car races, you also have this uh, combination between a pilot and, and technology. And uh, what does it matter if somebody, uh, whatever, doesn't have an arm and, and uses uh, an aid to perform things? I think the pilots are heroes and, and the winners are superheroes. So good luck to all the heroes and superheroes to be for the Cybathlon that will take place in November this year. And it will take place online. Thank you, Joachim Schoes, for being here with me at the studio. Thank you, Robert Rina, for joining us via screen from Italy, where you're spending your sabbatical. And by the way, I mentioned Samuel Kunz in this episode. He is a BCI, a brain-computer interface pilot, who steers virtual cars by thought. If you want to hear more about him and more about steering cars by thought, there's a full episode of the podcast with him. You can find him on any of the platforms where you get your podcasts or on the website of the ETH podcast. I'm Jennifer Kakshuri, together with Tis Wachter's Audio Story Lab and sound designer Luki Fretz, I produced this episode of the ETH podcast. Hope to talk to you soon. Stay well and be well. <laughs>